Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning into the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of to-the-point interviews with a vast variety of professionals to help you gain the exposure and detailed info you need to find a career path that'll fit you like a glove. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Dylan Arndt, a management coordinator at Foundations Artist Management, a full-service artist representation company in New York City. Dylan has so much to share about the wide variety of roles you could pursue in the music industry and how you could get your foot in the door if you're interested in those. By the way, if Dylan's last name sounds familiar, it's because the Job Library episode about strategy consulting um, is with his older sister, Taylor Arndt. This all-star sibling duo that I am blessed to call friends is so flipping smart and inspiring with how they pursue excellence in their careers, and I hope you love learning from them as much as I have. Anyway, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Dylan Arndt about his career in the business side of the music industry. And recording. Dylan Arndt, famed sibling to Taylor Arndt, a consultant featured in another episode of the Job Library series. Um, But here you are. I'm very excited to talk to you about your experience on the business side of the music industry. Such an I'm interesting so excited thing. to be here. Be oh so man. Fun. Oh yeah. I agree and I'm so pumped. So give us a little background on what your role is now, where you would be living if it weren't quarantine, <laughs> and what you're up to these days, and then we'll dig right in. Absolutely. So my current role is I am a management coordinator at Foundations Music. Um, we are primarily a artist management company. We also dabble in what we call Foundations Records and Foundations Publishing. So we do actually have a tiny little record label we want to run as well on the side, um, as well as a little publishing company. So it's kind of fun that we're divvying up our interests. But I am, like I said, a management coordinator, which essentially is like, I'll say as a glorified assistant, it basically means assistant and a million other small things. Mm-hmm. essentially um and so my direct boss is steve bursky the founder of the company he his direct clients are lauv foy vance need to breathe wilder woods dispatch employee in space and so that's sort of just like one fourth or one third of our entire company's roster and so those are the clients that i essentially work with directly um on top of just helping manage both our clients and steve's lives what? <laughs> that's so interesting oh my goodness and where do you normally live <laughs> i normally live in brooklyn new york i actually just funny story i moved up almost a year ago from now i graduated from belmont university in nashville tennessee on may 4th of what is it may 4th uh yeah 2019 but yes i normally reside in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Currently, you know, hunkering down with the parents in Texas. Truly, Um, yes. Like all my (laughs) co-workers. (laughs) Yes. uh, Aren't we all? Um, What did you earn your degree in in college? So my actual major is music business, which is not super common. Um, 
it technically it's a glorified BBA. So I do have a bachelor's in business administration with, and then essentially my um, electives are all music business classes. So my major is music business, but I do have a degree in bachelor's in business administration, which is great because then a lot of times students will want to get a music business degree. They will go two or three years through college and then realize this is not the major for me. And luckily they're not pigeonholed because they still have a BBA. So they're able to learn every aspect of sort of normal business jobs. And it's easier for them to then, if they dislike music industry and it's a bit late, to still be able to kind of jump wherever they want to go. Can you just give me a, a quick sampling of some of the classes that were um, special to the program in your totally. curriculum? So the first two classes that, it's great how they structure it, at least at Belmont, from their perspective. I know a few other notorious schools like NYU and Berkeley are also really famous for music and the arts, but at Belmont, they structure it. Your first year and your first semester, you'll be taking, it's like intro to audio recording technology or the history of audio recordings. And you'll also take what's called survey of music business. And so the survey music business is just like a very fast paced, just like recap of what the music industry is and all the different types of jobs and positions within it and how it works because it is so insanely complex. Like for an industry that's not like super, super rich, it's crazy how <laughs> massive it is and the huge web it creates. And then the audio technology class is learning more about the engineering side of it. So you're thinking of like these producers and people that are in the studios working with it. They're essentially sound engineers almost. So you get a bit of the business side and then the structure side of the music industry while also learning the audio side. And then from there you take classes like contract law and copyright law, music publishing. Um, and then it gets more into electives. A lot of the legalities are important classes because as like Taylor Swift has shown, there are many ways in which artists and labels can go head to head and fight for their rights. But there's even classes on songwriting. You, you can be a songwriting major at Belmont. Someone taught a class about Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> it really goes deep into like learning the functions of record labels and tour managing and whatnot. So fascinating. Uh, what has your career progression been so far or experience? I know that you've had quite a lot of internships and from what I've heard from you, that seems really common uh, as a requirement to get into this industry. Um, and then uh, how long have you been in your current position, if that's been the whole year since you've been out of school or otherwise? Definitely. So I, uh, my first sort of professional experience in the music industry was an internship in Brooklyn at Mick Management, which is also an artist management company. That was my second semester junior year. So I definitely was a late bloomer in terms of most uh, music industry sort of college student internships and positions. And so that I had taken sort of a semester abroad, except it was in Brooklyn, my actual schools in Nashville. And I was there for an entire semester and then immediately came back to Nashville and over the course of a summer, and luckily that summer through the next fall, I interned at Atlantic Records. There's a trio of um, people working in their A&R team, which is artists and repertoire. Those are the people that scout artists and sign artists to the label. It's the like the quote unquote cool job, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, they listen to a lot of music and are the ones that like have all the fun parties and whatnot. It looks glamorous, <laughs> but it's also a hard job. 
but that was an internship that I had for seven or eight months and it was amazing. Those people are very near and dear to me. And then right after that, my last internship I took in Nashville was Hard Eight Working Group. And that was another artist management company. Um, their biggest artist is Billie Eilish. What a year for her. <laughs> she was <laughs> what a year. LA. Yeah, literally, like she became the artist of the year um, and is completely deserving of it. But yes, I interned with them. And then immediately after them, I graduated, got my job, and then sprinted up to New York. And it's now been 11 months that I've been working at Foundations, No End in Sight, and it's pretty great. So cool. So you alluded to this in talking about the curriculum in the music business program, uh, seeing that there are so many different roles that you could hold in this side of the industry um, and how complex that is. Can you even just begin to break that down and what are all the or as many specialties as you could mention in terms of what people can explore if they're interested in going into music business. For sure. So it's a web and I won't go into too many details because I've it's one of those things where the more you talk about it, the more questions you'll get from it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's better if I try to really make like blanket statements. If anyone in the music industry is listening to me, they're going to be like, there's so much more to it. And that is true. But essentially you have I'll start with artist managers because that's just the company that I work with and have the most, I think, knowledge of. And it's interesting because when you have an artist, I think most people outside a record label will, or most people outside of the music industry think record label and that's sort of all they know about the team for an artist. The manager is sort of like, in very loose terms, the parent of the artist, I would say. The manager is the person that literally like verbatim manages their career. So they're the ones pulling all the strings, making sure the artist's dreams and visions are coming true. They make all the business decisions. They might typically have power of attorney for an artist. Um, and they're essentially the glue between every music company and the artists themselves. This means that every label, publishing company, performance rights, organization, promoter, booking agent are all gonna work with the manager who then acts on behalf of the artists. It's sort of a jack of all trades position, so to speak. So that was artist management. They're essentially the person that takes care of the artist's career. It is the central hub to the artist and they're the ones that are the glue between all the other companies that work with an artist and the rest of their team. So then your next step is going to be record labels. Think of them sort of like a music bank. So a label will sign an artist and give them X amount of money. It can be $10,000, it can be a million dollars, as well as an advance to create the album. And so this includes all the studio time, possibly some travel and accommodations, paying studio engineers, mastering the records, and so forth, the list goes on and on, all the expenses that it takes to essentially create an album. And albums are very, very expensive especially these larger artists, just studio time itself can be thousands of dollars for a few hours on top of literally everything else. And so in exchange, they receive a certain percentage of those profits from the album sales, those streams and any form of income they may have negotiated within the contract since all label deals are a bit different. They, these labels have marketing teams, licensing teams, A&R, which like I said, is artist repertoire. That's people that sign and bring in the artists and also work with the producers to create a good vision and sound for that album even sync and brand partnerships, et cetera. So it's this entire team that's basically saying, if you sign to us, we'll give you a ton of money up front to, it's like a loan, 
to create this huge album and then we'll take a huge chunk out of that profit then once it is released um and so that's what most most people think of artists think of record labels because they have such big teams that oftentimes a major artist vitally needs a record label because they need 40 50 people pulling all these strings and setting everything up for them it's just they can't do it by themselves and then moving on to publishing a publishing company essentially owns your song's copyright which is the melody and actual song not the recording so a tiny fun fact is that when you have songs you actually have two copyrights you have one copyright which is the melody and the lyrics in the song you know like you sing in your head and then you have the actual sound recording the sound recording is what the label makes essentially so when you hear taylor swift's you belong with me what you're hearing on the radio the version you hear is the sound recording but the actual song the idea behind it and the lyrics melodies are a separate copyright and so hmm. labels will own the sound recording and that copyright which is why taylor swift is very upset because the label owns the songs you hear on the radio she can re-record -re these songs because she has the right to the melody and the lyrics and whatnot but the exact audio you hear from when she was 16 and 18 and singing the label owns that because it was like they're like we paid for your entire album we then own this so we can make the money off of it oh um, okay that's so interesting when you hear her talk about those copyright issues and stuff that's what it's revolving around but a publishing company actually owns the copyright to the actual song and so in exchange for owning or co-owning this copyright the publishing company ensures you're receiving all your proper royalties for this song. They also will help pitch these songs to musicians and artists that are looking for more songs in their albums. So like, I hate to break it to you, but like Toby Keith and Tim McGraw and those legends, it's bigger in country. And I say that partially just because I was in Nashville and that was what I was most exposed to. But most of these country artists do not write their own songs or maybe they'll write one or two songs in their album. Everything else is just they're being sent a bunch of songs and they're like, this seems good. I will sing over it. Um, and so the people that are sending them those songs are pluggers at publishing companies. So an artist that writes songs, maybe you write a song and you don't want this to be on your album, you just think it's a good song, your publishing company will hopefully find someone else to take it if it's a good song and put it on their huh. album. And so those, they even also have a set of co-writes. So if you're like, I'm in quarantine right now, I just want to write a bunch of songs with other people, then your publishing company will reach out to all these people you want to write with and work with their managers to set up rights. I mean, via Zoom right now, but that is what a publishing company does is that they sort of take care of your royalties and pitching your songs as a songwriter. Then you kind of get into the field of touring, which is also complex, but some major players are booking agents. And so a booking agent is the person that books all the shows they're doing all the contracts it's overwhelming because when you think of a tour that's going to say 50 cities across the entire world that is 50 fully separate contracts they have to fill out and analyze um it gets very complex with how you pick and how you route them and whatnot but these booking agents had to figure out the order in which you're able to play all these shows depending on how fast you can get to a different venue per each day how much the artist needs rests. Uh, booking agents will typically sign artists super, super early on because any artist that starts to blow up in their local hometown, whether it be Dallas or New York or Austin or anywhere, 
a booking agent's going to see that and be like, this person can sell a show and sell out a concert. I want to be their agent so that I can profit off of it and sort of set up these deals. Um, and so booking agents work again, hand in hand with managers to make sure an artist tour is viable. Again, since they're all different contracts, planning out a tour can take months and it is really easy to mess up. But that's a big component of touring. You also have tour managers. So say my artist is going on a 50 show tour. I do not want to be going to this 50 show tour with them. I don't want to work remotely for a year and a half off of a bus. And so I hire a tour manager that takes care of all of it. Tour managers, again, work closely with management to figure out what does an artist need while they're on the road, whether it's lighting and design, whether it's simply just like food and basic resources, making sure that every show, if anything goes wrong, that tour manager, it is their responsibility to fix it. Um, they're often roadies because they'll literally be living out of their home on this bus or a van. Hotels, if they're extremely lucky and it's a very, very large client um, for months on end. And so it's also fascinating because a lot of my friends that are young tour managers do not have apartments or leases. Their goal is just Whoa. to be floating around because they don't need an apartment if they know they're only going to be in it for four months in a year, um, which is fascinating. But yeah, that's tour managers. And then the last one I'll go over in terms of touring is promoters. And these, these are companies that literally promote your shows. And what that is, is they're the ones that do all the posters, radio commercials, any sort of marketing or advertisement for a show. And a lot of times these promoters are linked with venues. And that's also a bit tricky because a lot of these venues are now owned by massive promoters. So if you think of like AEG and Live Nation, they, if you want to play like the Bomb Factory in Dallas, that might be a Live Nation venue. So you're kind of stuck with using Live Nation as your promoter very interesting. Live Nation is turning into a conglomerate. So that gets confusing. Um, that the best examples are also companies that do everything else now. But <laughs> yes, when you're booking a show, your booking agent has locked in a venue in Nashville and you're like, great, you have your tour manager and now you work with the promoter of that venue to promote your show with whatever budget you have that they may have, etc. And then the last sort of piece that I'll talk about before we get anywhere in these crazy details is a performance rights organization or a PRO. This is companies like ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Those are the three sort of giants to think about if you hear those names. They essentially collect royalties from venues, radio plays, TV networks, so forth, anywhere in which your music is being played out in the world, even like bars and restaurants and retail stores. ASCAP and BMI and CSAC, these PROs are the ones that collect all those tiny royalties, which it may per, per retail store be cents or pennies, but when it's global, can rack up to some, a serious amount of money. Um, and tracking all those royalties itself is fascinating. So if you're a numbers person, but also like the music industry, that is a, fan, a really, really, really good um, position. To <laughs> yeah. Very, very analytical. Oh my goodness. I am starting to see why there was a whole class dedicated to helping you understand the whole music industry. Yes, it is a web and the longer you're in it, the bigger it gets. And also, I think the new trend is in the past, these companies have always been very rigid and separate. You've had your label guys, your management guys, but now with so much technology and people just really wanting to condense where the money flow is and also money 
not being as sort of huge in the music industry as it used to be everyone's wanting to do everything all together mm-hmm. so then it gets confusing because you're seeing all these brand new companies that sound cool because they're like we do artist management but we also do this and do that and do this and they want to consolidate all those efforts which can be good or bad depending on the artist it's it gets into the yeah, this very huge labyrinth mm-hmm. <laughs> goodness so what is the track uh, that you're most interested in pursuing I would say management right now. Um, I love management because I think it is such a direct connection to the artist, essentially. Um, I, and I know my opinion's gonna change on this, essentially every single year as I find out what my strengths are, going mm-hmm. through my professional career and just what excites me and what drives me as I experience new things. But I love management because I think you are the direct controller of an artist's career and I like the idea of finding this artist that you love their music you love their personality you just like listen to them and think like I want this person to be successful I want them to grow I really want others to see what I see in them and then you figure out how to do that it's a very fun you're championing your artist through their career hoping they are successful not about the money that's a big thing I should say is that if you're in if you're wanting to do this for the money get out because this is not an industry where you are going to be racking up an insane amount of money you can for sure if you hit the big leagues um but what drives people and me especially is just this passion for these artists um being huge fans of music and wanting to elevate and broadcast that finding new artists giving them that platform that you think they deserve to be Mm. listened to Yeah, truly being passionate about the art form of music and elevating the artists, as you say. Yes. Very curious to hear about um, what you feel some common misconceptions are about the music industry. Oh, yes. Okay, so one that I've thought of a bunch is that um, it's like a really cool, like rich, fun position. I think a lot of the music industry is grinding and grinding and grinding. a lot of these companies, if you're at a major label and major agency might be different, but for the most part, a lot of the music industry is tiny companies, just like really working every single day tirelessly to stay afloat. And so one misconception is that it's a very fun, lavish industry, because I think it's actually a very, it's not a, oh man, how do you describe this? Most likely, you will not earn a lot of money in the music industry just straightforward. You for sure can hit the big leagues. It's definitely a possibility, but I think if money is something that you really are passionate about, um, not even a bad way, if you really want that financial, financial security, if you are really, really about just like planning your long-term financial health, I think be careful with the music industry just because you're going to start very broke. Mm-hmm. Typically everyone I know that's in the industry long enough finds what works for them to be super profitable and just to really have a really great balanced life. But that's something I think to be wary of. Another misconception is that it's, I kind of talked about this a bit earlier, but that working in the music industry pigeonholes yourself from other jobs. Mm. I think what you do in the music industry is just a bunch of different types of jobs across different fields condensed and unified through music. Mm-hmm. 
it is a bit different because the music industry is so built on itself and it's such an interesting like it only functions because it is the specific industry and everything it's kind of harder to jump in and out of the music industry because you really just have to know how it functions and unless you're in it it's almost impossible to be explained to you. Like I did my best over <laughs> that I little think you blurb, did a good job. <laughs> but it just keeps going and going and going. And so I think that was a misconception I had was when I ha- started in the music industry at Belmont, I was so afraid I would pigeonhole myself and that if I didn't like music, I would have no experience or interest and I wouldn't be able to cross over any other fields. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. I think sure that it's going to be difficult to go into the fields, but you have your marketing people, you have, um, your music industry accountants, you have your lawyers that work for entertainment clients. Uh, the work you do is all business related, just yeah. in this very weird, isolated sort of industry um, <laughs> yeah. that is not talked about besides all the glitz and the glamour. Those are the big ones, I think. And it's definitely a lifestyle. I think that mm-hmm. isn't a misconception and almost actually like you're probably thinking like people in the music industry talk about it a lot and you're like yeah because it consumes much further than your nine to five it's something that doesn't really shut off um and it's your passion so it kind of makes sense that it bleeds into every other part of your life (laughs) well great i was just about to ask tell me what a typical day looks like slash night looks like (laughs) or whatever your working hours are oh yes okay so a typical day Let's see, for me specifically as a management coordinator, a lot of my day is, yes, scheduling calls and scheduling meetings and being that literal coordinator for our entire office. Because I said there are so many webs within the industry, it also means having to talk to a lot of people all the time. And so it can be a beast having to do these calls because I'm scheduling between like six or seven different companies. Um, Mm. And it's great because I know all these assistants immediately so I'm able to within someone will throw me on an email at the very end of a long conversation being like hey set this up and I'm happy like I'll have have to go back through 20 minutes of reading prior email conversations to be like oh now I know the entire full context let me set up these schedule to these companies not being able to see their calendars because they're all separate like that's a beast. So I will say a lot of coordinating schedules, that is my due diligence for being a fresh comer into the music industry. And then when it comes to management, I also work a lot with handling our artists' song catalogs. So all of our artists are really frequent writers, especially during quarantine. What else are you going to do besides write some music? And so they're sending us all these different demos and I'm having to go back to them and say like, okay, are you wanting this for maybe a new album? Is this something that you want other people to take? Like, a song essentially for pitch to pitch to other artists to take your song and put on their album. So what, what is the nature behind this? Are you tracking it? Is it a demo versus a mix versus a master, et cetera? Grabbing all the lyrics and data for that song and storing in the right places. You also have things like booking travel for you and your clients. This can be through Airbnbs or hotels. It depends on if you're, if it's a tour, because if it's a tour, then you're going to your tour manager to do it. Um, researching and connecting with independent artists in search of management. So at all times, I'm listening to more music and really trying to find out who are these small artists that deserve a voice that we think we can give them that voice and that platform. And then smaller projects that are just better serving our artists and increasing the seamlessness of our workflow 
every day. The since I'm more on the ground level, especially with management, a lot of what I do is just completely sporadic and unpredictable. Whatever your artist needs, essentially, that can be something as super silly and tiny as your artist the day before Halloween decides they want to go to a Halloween party and they need costumes, and you have to figure out what they're going to wear. Like something as silly as that, like ridiculous. And I'm like. Honestly, those small things I love because they're just silly and give me a reason to be creative and be able to call it work. But then also there's the high profile things where you're having to sign these extensive contracts for record labels and publishing companies. And you have to go through the 65 page contract and read every single tiny detail, negotiate it, send it back and forth. I am luckily not doing those, but I read them all because there's no way I'll be able to know unless I read them. So it's great to be in these companies where you sort of watch the magic happen and watch also these really tough conversations and negotiations. And so then when it's my time and I eventually bring a client onto the management roster that I manage personally, I've seen it all go down before. I've seen all these stories and situations and I'm able to sort of handle it for myself. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to find a career path that will be an amazing, rewarding, and exciting fit for you. If indeed you are still holding out hope that that's even possible, which I can assure you is completely possible as I've given dozens of Christians, one, a reformed view of work from mundane responsibility to actually the joyful gift that it is, two, help identifying their unique calling, and three, the help they need to practically land the job that's aligned with it. If it sounds like a dream to have a tried and true career coach come alongside you to help you confidently discern which career path you're called to pursue amidst the infinite sea of options that are so overwhelming, as well as help you nail all the practicals like networking, resumes, interviews, and negotiations to save you a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that are just seemingly such a common experience. They don't have to be. If any of that sounds extremely exciting, then I want to invite you to apply for my deep dive career coaching experience. Go to my website, kelseykemp.com coaching to learn more and book a free 30 minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through whatever might be holding you back so you could fulfill the vision and hopes you have for your career. I want to let you know I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you and if you're serious and if you're ready to accelerate your path to building a meaningful and impactful career aligned with who God uniquely made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to book a free consultation with me this week and learn more. Okay, now back to the episode. Do you get to clock off at any time or is your phone just kind of always buzzing? It is always buzzing. And if it's not buzzing, you're just ready for it to buzz. Um, It's interesting because first off, you can't clock off because your client doesn't clock off. Like my artists, our artists are human beings and they constantly have needs and have ideas and epiphanies and whatnot. And they're not just like, they're, it's not like their brain is on from nine to five and then after five o'clock, they're like, I'm done being an artist. Like it's their whole life, especially when they're on tour. 
And so always being ready for them to call and you take that. But then also just we're working with people through so many different time zones and so many different layers of communication. You kind of just have to be willing and ready to always send that email when it needs to send to get to the right person before the next person before this time deadline. You, our marketing team, bless them. They are up at midnight for every midnight release we have. If we have an artist that needs to post something that has to be live at 10 a.m. in the UK, that's 5 a.m. in New York. So they have to be up at 5 a.m. to post that. There are mich- there are apps that do it for you, but we don't want to risk, you know, like an album release gone wrong because we trusted Instagram, this like shady mm-hmm. app to post on our behalf, you know? Yeah. Um, that's also fascinating because when an artist drops a song at midnight, every single social platform they have, their website and everything has to be changed all at the same time. At the same time. With updated <laughs> graphics, which blows my mind. And I never, I never thought of how, just how many platforms and streams that is until I saw them do it and was like oh this is overwhelming it was like an hour for them to change everything two people at midnight to flip it over but that's just an example of the sort of less glamorous side of the job is Mm -hmm. it's chronic and then you're thinking so my company our office hours are 10 a.m to 7 p.m we're those hours in New York because we want to make sure 10 a.m. is early enough to catch the UK people who are five hours ahead of us most of the time, depending on when our time zones flip, which is never the same time. Or the LA people who don't get in until it's, you know, 12 o'clock our time, we want to be stay up late enough to be able to have a full day with them. But then also because everyone's going to concerts all the time, which seems fun and glamorous you're like i gotta go to all these free concerts every single night like that's so great but also like man i love coming back from work and then just like eating food and watching some hbo and that's just not a very frequent reality for me a lot of it is you're either seeing these shows because your clients are playing them you're seeing these shows because someone that you're really close with has a client playing them and you want to be supportive of them seeing these shows because there's a person that may be a client in the future that you want to see and check out how their live show is. Uh, live music in general is just extremely important important in the industry. And if you're, some jobs are more within the industry needing sort of the live show experience. So if you're with a booking agency, God bless your shows four or five nights a week, uh, almost every single weeknight. The higher you get up, the more you might be able to weasel out of that. But in the management is pretty high up. A&R is also like the kings of going out every single night. When I interned there, was, it blew my mind how they knew they had, they'd have a list of every single artist playing every single venue every single week. And they would pick the Monday of that week. We're covering these, all these different shows to make sure that any single artist that is interesting and that is not on the label and that could be perspective, they have to see the show. Hmm. And it's not always like, you're not going to these amazingly huge venues sometimes. Sometimes it's awkward. It is you and five other people that you don't know at like a showcase. I, there are a couple of times where I covered a show and it was awkward because I'd walk in and it's just like friends and family. And they're oh. like, oh, and, and like someone's basement. And you're like, oh, I'm just here to see. Like, <laughs> it's so, I'm like, in any world, I do not want to be in this situation. It is so awkward. But also you might see the show, you're blown away. 
and then you can walk up to the artist immediately and say like hi i'm so and so from x label or x management this show is incredible could we get coffee tomorrow i want to talk more about your artistry and it's insane how just like getting coffee from there builds to an actual business relationship which is another thing i should say that although it's not glamorous to go to all these shows and to work chronically um the good side of it i think personally is it's very very relationship based which i know that's a general trend i think in most companies is that we're leaning more towards getting coffee and having healthier work cultures and you know your connections are super vital but that is especially especially true in the music industry getting coffee and getting lunch with people is yes like a business meeting but also just it's a very caring industry and so much of your decisions are also based on is this someone that you trust and is this someone that you like as a person are they a good person and so mm -hmm. I remember a big thing especially with labels is that they're getting coffee and lunch with people almost every single day and they're able to expense all those meals as business expenses which at first I was like that's ridiculous but now I get it because those meetings are the ones that lead to an artist trusting you and wanting to join your company and that changes you know your entire future and so I do like it because I think relationships are extremely important in industry mm -hmm. and I the moment I'm talking to someone and they're like do you know this person I'm like yes I know them I love them and like you just get so excited and passionate because you're like this is someone that I work with that I just really appreciate and value and you want to hype them up and so that's one of the exciting things in industry besides music is just very much That's about the people cool. in the music. What type of person do you feel would be suitable for a job in the music industry? Um, maybe personality or preferences, skills, strengths, all that? Totally. I would say someone that is very entrepreneurial would thrive, especially with management particularly. And so I've learned I'm not the biggest entrepreneur I don't have the exact mindset I, ha I think I have the energy and the drive for it, but it's something that is not instilled in my bones mm -hmm. I want to learn and I'm excited about it because I think I see all my mentors that have that mindset and they're thriving and they're people that I see myself in but when it comes to management your artist is a business they're going to be an LLC so like quite literally the artist is a business and so you and you're running that business and so you have to have a lot of ideas on how to structure it. It's very, very DIY, no management, no artist is the same. And so having, if you are really excited by those sort of tough, challenging, how do I solve these solutions without a manual? I think this is, that's a great position for you. If you, you will always be learning in the music industry. So if you are someone that likes the idea of just fast paced work environment, constantly having to be a go-getter, and just always, always reaching for the next step. This is huge too. My boss, I really, really value because I've been able to see that he is someone that, like most of us, is never really off, but they kind of thrive that way where I love to be busy and I love having a lot of work because I also just feel accomplished when I'm able to get it done. Um, I don't know if you are deep into the Enneagram. I only, I only know about mine. That's literally it, but I'm oh, a type tell three. Me. Oh, and so, I mean, sure. You and you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so it's funny because I think my boss is definitely a type three too. And so you can see how, yes, he works more than your average person, but that's what excites him and what thrills him. And it sort of keeps him passionate. 
and he's almost like a more enjoyable person when I can see he's like really has a tough situation he's up against because it's just like those cogs in his mind are working much quicker and it's just sort of the thrill of it and so and besides that I think being an extrovert helps I don't think it is a necessity um I said that a lot of my friends also are introverts but I have found that you're getting a lot of coffee with people if you're going to a lot of concerts and stuff it is going to be very mentally and socially taxing mm-hmm. and so it helps for me because a lot of times I won't want to go to a concert but I'll go to it see some people I know and then I'm energized again and I'm like oh this is great I love being here and I'm sort of re-reminded of why I'm in this industry and why I love it so much I think if you are someone that gets drained very easily by those constant social interactions it can be it can just be more difficult for you you might have to be more intentionally aware of how you sort of turn yourself off and how you find that distance for yourself it's definitely not impossible by any means but it's something that should really be considered, I think, when going to this industry. Mm-hmm. What type of educational or experiential qualifications are needed to get your foot in the door? I would say educationally, none. With a small asterisk, mm-hmm. and it's changing day by day, 20, 30 years ago, there was never a degree for music industry. And if you said you had a degree for music industry, no one will believe you. Um, now, it is interesting because I think people want you to have a degree in something, but it doesn't have a music industry. A degree in business or marketing is really just good enough. I think people much more value internships and experience and your connections more than anything else. So my music business degree was like overkill, especially GPA. My, I don't think a single internship or employer knows my GPA or knew it or even looked at it just kind of like over their head it's a very creative industry and it's funny because like most of our artists failed out of high school and college and a lot of our bosses were in a time where you didn't need to be in college to be in the music industry and be successful because you they learned on the job they learned in mm-hmm. high school and just sort of on the fly and so I think education might be a requirement for some internships I wouldn't necessarily it's a requirement to even get into these types of jobs just because again like I had overkill with my music business degree yeah. and it's like I got in and I was like oh my gosh did I need a four-year degree in an expensive school maybe maybe not for me personally I did because I knew nothing about the music, music industry before going to college so I needed that entry course and that real fire sparked in me but if I was in high school and I knew these connections and I had my little internships at radio stations and whatnot I could have very easily slid into the music industry without having had education because it's not as valued. I will say internships are important just because it's the only experience you can really get. It's such Mm -hmm. an interesting industry that you kind of just have to be thrown in there to understand how it works and what's going on. And so that's much more important is employers seeing that you have experience within Mm -hmm. this industry and you understand how it functions and how it works. How many internships, if you can quantify it, do you feel are needed? Let's say, like, if you need them in high school or in college, is it just like the last two summers of college or is it all the time? Like, rack them up. <laughs> I would say the more the better, but the more meaningful the better as well. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you want to do. It, 
I bounce would bounce around a lot if I didn't know what path I wanted to go to um, or if I had a bad internship. I think, so say I interned at Columbia Records and I was like, oh, this was awful. It's not about the resume. It's about what I feel like I actually learned from it. Then I would have been like, oh, I need numerous internships to really dive in. In the same vein though, I've had a lot of friends that they interned somewhere junior year. They loved it. They connected so deeply and quickly with that company that they interned again their senior year, throughout their senior year, eventually before even graduating, became part-time employee. They graduate and it just flips to full-time and they never have to leave that company because it's just the right fit. Um, And again, that kind of goes for many companies now, I want to say, completely outside of this industry. But you'll oftentimes see like four to five internships before people get their first job. I think that's the most common, especially if you're going a collegiate route, just because you need Mm -hmm. much experience. But if you find the right meaningful place, that might be your home. Any company that you think your core values stick with, a specific type of job that you think really aligns with what your passion is, and that's it. So it's it's variable, and I don't want to just keep giving a blanket answer of like, it depends, but Mm -hmm. truly, it depends on your situation, I would say. Mm. I'm just so curious about why you're so passionate about being in this music or in this industry, in the music industry, um, and what keeps you in it. It's such a grind, it seems like, but so cool. And definitely as a particular kind of person would be called to it, not everybody. Yes, I definitely agree with that. It's for a particular kind of person. Um, If you're in it for the cool factor, you will immediately run away when you jump in (laughs) because you'll quickly realize like, wow, it's so hard and I'm not cool. Like it's very, it's very glamorous to like rock your shoulder like, oh, do you want to be my plus one to the VIP section of like, not Beyonce. God knows I'll never be VIP of Beyonce. That's (laughs) my biggest dream. That is the cool factor. Maybe that is actually why I'm in this really just to be at a Beyonce show. But um, it's cool to be able to throw that around or say like I was at the Grammy Awards and whatnot. Um, But those moments are never going to be sort of worth it for the grind. I think for me personally, with this particular job, it is when I, it's when I see our artists perform live. Um, so one thing was Lauv right now is a really big client for us and um, stream his new album, How I'm Feeling. It was out March 6th. It's fantastic. Um, it's just like 21 pop bangers right and left. But it was cool because I think we went through so much album promotion. And then when I finally saw he had two sold out shows at Terminal 5 in New York and yes, got the fancy sort of VIP standing area and I was able to bring a friend, but it was so amazing because I enjoyed his music, but I never really understood that fan connection to him and what people gravitated so much towards him. And so I was watching him live. I mean, these kids were like crying it was such a moment for them and a moment for him as well he cried on stage too and just to see such intense energy and such passion from these fans and to know that our company helped set us up and play a part it was very fulfilling I remember leaving seeing that show being like wow like I totally get it I cannot I, I I want to create these experiences more and more and more um and even listening to music, I love listening to music so much. And it's great to hear an artist and feel like that person deserves recognition. That person, I want 
everyone to listen to them in the world and to realize you actually have the ability to make that happen is mm. it is really really cool to see the successes it takes a long time to see those successes which is can be definitely difficult and disheartening at times and they're everyone in the music industry I think this sounds sad but I think a lot of people will always at one point be like why am I in this and like I don't understand but then you quickly realize like there's no other place that I would fit in as well as this there for every time that you struggle and think like this is so exhausting or like why am I putting myself through this much work for this little money or like the perks aren't as big as many other companies I think you immediately afterwards realize like there's no other place that I would fit in more than here or that I would be more not just good at but something that would be as fulfilling I think in the long Mm -hmm. term as this and so that's partially a cautionary tale if you're going to music industry you, I'd really recommend that you think long and hard about it internally if it is something that you're really passionate about um, even especially because listening to music is not a huge 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 factor in enjoying the music industry um, it's like when you work where your passion is sometimes those things should not mix mm-hmm. um, and so yes there are times where it can be difficult but then for everyone, every one of those moments, there's another moment where I'm immediately reminded, this is where my sort of heart lies. And I can't really picture myself in a different position, no matter how rough mm-hmm. the days get. Yeah. Uh, if you, have you ever met Carly Hicks? I'm not sure if you have. I don't think so. Okay. Well, she was another um, person who came on the podcast and a while back we were talking about, um, something that reminded me of what you just said of listening to music doesn't necessarily mean that you would love to work in the music industry and similarly she really loves um, film and entertainment um, and said the same cautionary statement just because you love movies doesn't mean that you would love to work in the film and entertainment industry Um, but what she did say was the difference is do you love to research all the details do you love to think about the inner workings of how this was made do you want to make support this or whatever um, the uh, passion is that you're beholding like do you want to help that be made or produced um, and obviously that was more of an indicator of you would be a good fit for this industry then is that something you would agree with or would you add more detail to helping someone figure out if they would be a good fit for going beyond oh yeah I like listening to music too mm, maybe I should check out this industry I think that is a perfect description it is definitely do you get excited by the inner workings of it? When you learn more, does that sort of fill you up and energize you? I know it did for me. It is really not a situation of, do you like music and listening to it and going to shows? Cause you can continue to do all of those things. Mm. Um, it's almost like you can love Disney, but I want to work at Disney because it'll spoil all the surprises. I think this is the same way. Like you'll learn there's a lot of bad things in the music industry and there are a lot of sometimes just bad people um, with every industry. You'll always work with some great people and you'll also work with some awful people who you're like, the, their values are not great. I don't really align with that. I don't like their intentions. Um, that happens, especially with music managers. Like my goodness, they're 
you look up Elvis Presley's music manager, that he's like the crown jewel example. People, I think, <laughs> teach entire classes on him because it's fascinating how he single-handedly built Elvis's career and also just destroyed him. Um, it's what? so it's very fascinating how like you can make separate arguments for how he's a great manager and how he's an awful manager. It is. Oh, I'm gonna really, look him up now. To dive deep in one thousand percent, you can get deep into it, but. I fully agree. Um, if if what excites you is not the music, but how it's made, essentially, all the details into it, learning about publishing and record labels and just those tiny cogs in the machine and learning those processes, if that's what energizes you, or even a specific cog in that machine, you know, mm-hmm. you might not care about PROs, but if the thought of booking these shows and signing, working those contracts and going to see the actual show that you set up in the tour if that excites you, then 1000%, I think you should pursue it. And always one thing that I would say to get your foot in the door is finding your mentor, find someone that is very knowledgeable in the industry and wants to coach you on. You will find one. It's pretty easy. People, I think you do not get in this industry without the help of people. I could, if someone immediately was like, oh, do you have any friends you like to work with the music industry? Or how did you get to where you are now? I after that would be like, oh, my internships, like Chris Martignago, Jeanette Porcello, Steve Robertson, at Mick Management, Madison Dickey, at Hard Eight Working Group, like Johnny Gradone, um, my professors, Anna Pandorf, like I can rattle them off because they were so influential for me. And there are people that I would not be where I am today at all without each of their, not just advice, but their full hearted support and how much effort they put into teaching me and raising me. And in the same vein, if any college kid comes to me or high school and is like, I'm confused about the music industry, I'd like to learn more, I will 1000% help as much as possible because I think everyone recognizes that with this industry particularly, your relationships and the pe- and supporting each other is how you get where you are. No one is self-made in the music industry. If they say they are, that is an absolute lie. Mm-hmm. They've learned everything they know from someone else it is constantly just learning from others failing a lot and then teaching those failures and successes to those around you. Um, that is definitely huge to me. Yeah, that's very special. And man, this has been a very insightful conversation. I've certainly learned a lot about plenty of areas I knew nothing about before. So <laughs> um, I know that this has been helpful to so many of the listeners and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective, Dylan. I'm so happy I was able to. My last little note, I love this, and everyone will tell you this, is there's a book that you can read if you like, are like, I want to learn about every factor of the music industry, but I also do not want to pay for a collegiate course. Mm-hmm. It's called How to Succeed in the Music Business Without Really Trying. I believe the author is Donald Passman. That is, it's kind of like a, almost like a joke because every single person has read that book because it's just the most concise detailed book on the music industry. And so it's funny now, cause I think it's the brunt of many jokes. Like every single person will be in the music industry will like joke about it and then also say, but I do still have that book on my bookshelf. It is mm-hmm. one that I think is referred to a lot. It's the first book you read if you're in college, music business classes. So I recommend if you are interested in, in learning the more granular details of the music industry to go from here, that that book is sort of your first step maybe seriously perfect insider tip thanks for sharing that what a good way to cap it off (laughs) sharing all my secrets that i literally just learned (laughs) (laughs) 
If anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other Benchable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.